right, I'm gonna ask my phone to do double duty. We'll see if it'll actually work or not. All right, good morning, everybody. Morning. There we go. Um, go ahead, first, uh, first Timothy chapter two. And of course, my notes will probably show up as soon as we're done here, but it's all good. I put them in the exact same place every time, but anyway, we'll see what happens. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, we're going to start off in verse, verse 3, uh, and then we'll go from there. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of recover, uh, go over some things from last week, and then kind of pick up from there. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, talking about, in the context there, he's talking about uh, praying. Um, verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and, and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to have to study your word. As we take a look at, these, uh, at this topic, may we allow your word to have the final authority in all things that uh, we can be effective in, in the evangelism uh, outreach that we're going to be a part of, um, that we're all completely and totally equipped to go and be, be, be able to present a gospel in a clear and concise way uh, that folks might trust your word and in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. So, um, so somebody texted me. I don't have their number saved and said I'm muted. So good morning, everybody. <laughs> uh, good morning, everybody online. Sorry. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know who that what that number is or how they got my phone number, but I'll find out who it is. Tell me your name, please. Anyway, <clears throat> um, okay. All right, we'll see. That's kind of weird. I need to quit looking at that. All right. <clears throat> um, so here we here we come to first first Timothy chapter two, and one of the things that we find out, and of course we kind of remind ourselves, um. In time past, you had Israel up here and you had the Gentiles down here, right? And one of the things we found out that Jesus Christ actually came to that group and that group only. And we found out in Matthew chapter 10 that through them, the rest of the world could have salvation, right? And we can read over in Matthew where it talks about the fact that Jesus Christ says that he's made a ransom for many, all right? And that's a different issue. So then what happens is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have the fall of the nation of Israel where everybody, Jews, are also now Gentiles. All right? They have the exact same place that everybody has. Go back, to, go back real quick to Romans chapter 3 and just kind of remind ourselves of some of these things so we'll know, know where we are. Uh, Romans chapter 3. Verse 9, and here's the whole purpose. Well, in fact, go back to Romans chapter 1 because I, I want us to be able to see, see this because you know, we, we've talked about these things and gone through all this stuff and I want to make sure that, that we're, we're all on the same page here. Romans chapter 1, um, if you look at verse 15, we'll just start off here in verse 15. Verse 15, Paul says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So what is it that Paul says that he's getting ready to preach? The gospel. Here, you know, he's laying it out. Here it is. And so he's saying, here's what's going on. And what he does is he says, he goes all the way back to before Israel was separated. He goes all the way back, back here to the Tower of Babel in Romans chapter 1. Um, notice here in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now what happens is, is he's taking us back to the Tower of Babel saying that was the position of everybody back then. Everybody was on the same playing field. Everybody was the exact same place. 
But then God separates unto Himself a group of people. Now, Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32 is dealing with this back here, right? The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, that's what he's dealing with. Then what happens is, now you have a difference between Gentiles and the nation of Israel. And so in chapter 2, notice he says, Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. Now, what's going on is you've got some religious people who say, I'm better than everybody else because I'm actually following what God does and I'm doing what God says. And what's interesting is normally normally when you hear people say that type of stuff, they're the ones to be careful <laughs> to be careful of. You know, you think about you think about the, the religious folks that was going on with, with Jesus Christ and, and Matthew, and we were talking about this on Wednesday nights. Matthew's Matthew ten, eleven, and twelve, we start seeing um, Jesus Christ in chapter nine says Israel, you don't have shepherds, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some shepherds. And he picks out twelve and says, "This is really what what he's doing. He's setting up his his new his new regime, if you will, to take over the governmental positions of ranking authority in the earth. And it's gonna start off with those twelve. And the whole issue at the end, when when Peter says, "We've done everything. You've, we've sold everything. We've given up everything. What do we get out of the deal?" And he says, "You're gonna have twelve thrones. You're gonna sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel." That's going to be your position. And so each, each of those guys are going to have their own position that they're going to rule over. And of course, the idea of ruling and judging there isn't go do this and go do that. It's we get to go and be a part of something that would be amazing. And that's one of those things. It's just, okay, let's make sure that we're doing things and let's get on with this and let's get on with that. More of a delegation than, you know, you've done something wrong, so I'm going to judge you. That, that's, that's a whole other issue. But what happens is... That religious, the religious group are the ones going around. And, you know, when you get up to, to chapter 10, and even in chapter 11 and chapter 12, you start seeing this change where things start getting worse for Jesus Christ, and it's because of the religious folks. And they're going around saying, well, you know, you can't heal a guy on the Sabbath day. Well, there's provisions that's in the law that allows you to do that, and they're so focused on the ceremonial law. Well, we see those folks today. They say, well, you have to be baptized or you have to do the Lord's table this way. You know, you have to have the cup with the grapefruit juice or, um, or actual wine and then you have to have bread. And then, you know, you, that's that issue. They're more interested in the ceremonial stuff of, you know, look at all the stuff that we're doing. We're religious. Um, but that's the people who Christ was really speaking against right and he was saying you're the ones that i'm replacing with the 12 and all those but you come here and what do we have we've got religious religious gentiles if you will notice drop down to verse 14 um the gentiles didn't have the law but notice in verse 14 for when the gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law these having not the law are a law unto themselves which through the work of the law, written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And so then what, what Paul's saying is, back here, this was the position of everybody. They knew God and they chose not to retain God in their knowledge. Right? Then you get over here and you've got some religious folks and then what he does is he, he goes ahead and gets um, the folks with the nation of Israel as well. Notice... Um, notice verse 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of God. So what he's doing is he's going all the way back from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11. And he's saying all the people that are in religious situations and also, by the way, he's going to get you all too. Well, what's the conclusion of this? And again, this is all, this is all under the umbrella of what? He says, as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel. This is part of it. You know, you think about you think about those things as we go through. Ver, uh, chapter three, you get down here to chapter three, verse nine. Notice what happens. The whole point of the first part of Paul presenting this information, verse nine, it says, "What then are we better than they? No, and no wise, for we have before proved both before proved both who Jews and Gentiles that they are all under what." That's the position. 
You look at that. that that's, that's clearly what it says. And he says, here, he's saying, here's the gospel. These people messed up. These groups messed up. And God's saying, I'm going to declare you all under sin and I'm going to put you all back right where you were back in Genesis 1 through 11. And he says, every one of you all are what? Under sin. So then, you go on down. We get down to verse 21. Notice. Well, let's look at verse 20. Because I want us to make sure that we keep this in mind too. Verse 20. Um, hold your place there. Go get, uh, go get 1 Timothy again. And we'll talk about this once we get down there. But notice 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 8. So, of course, there's some issues here with, with the folks in Ephesus, and we'll get to that a little bit more as we go through. But notice here in verse 8, Paul says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Well, that means that there's a lawful way to use the law. Um, are people saved by the law? No. Are people, can people prove that they're saved by performing the law? Can they keep their salvation if they perform the law? So none of that's lawful. There is one lawful way to use it. Well, what's the lawful way, Paul? I'm glad you asked. Verse 9. Knowing this, this means that we should know something, right? Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, and he goes on down through here and gives you a list of people. Notice, go back to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. What's the useful and the lawful use of the law? Verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. In order to show these people here that their under sin is to do what? Here's the law. How are you matching up to it? This is what God's perfect righteousness would look like. You can't do it. They couldn't do it. And if they were God's chosen people and couldn't do it, then that means you can't either. So then, what's that tell a person when you present that to them and say, have you murdered anybody? A lot of people, hopefully you meet, would say No. Well, have you ever lied? Well, if you go back and you look at that list in 1 Timothy, notice 1 Timothy. <clears throat> and this is another one of those things like to be able to bring up this, this, this information, this is another verse that you can go to. Um, at the end of verse, verse 9, it says, it's for who? The lawless and disobedient. Have you ever been disobedient in any situation in your life? Okay. Uh, for the ungodly, well, you may not think you're ungodly, and for sinners. Well, <laughs> if you look at that, who's the law for is to show sinners that they're what? Sinners. Here's your position. Here's who you are. For unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for menslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for menstealers, for liars. Whoops. If you can get to that part of the list and you say, no, I've not done any of those things, that one right there will get you. Guarantee it. For perjured persons, and if there be anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, we'll talk about a little bit more what that is. But when you go through that list, and there's a bunch of other lists that we can go through, that's who the law is for, to show them what? You're a sinner. This is your position. This is who you are. You cannot save yourself. That means what? Somebody else had to. And, and then you can get into that conversation with them. Well, if you find out here and here, back in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, the, use, the, the lawful use of the law is for the knowledge of sin. To know that you are. Well, we've already looked at the verse in verse 9. It says that they're all under sin, so... You're already there whether you know it or not. And that's, that's your part, right? Well, if you look at verse 21, and this is where the good, this is where the good part gets into, right? So Romans 1.18, Romans 
all the way through to chapter 3, verse 20. That gets us from when there was no difference to, again, there is no difference because everybody's, everybody's destined to hell. But, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So then, what we have here is we have righteousness of God without the law is manifested. So what do we have back there is here's the law, here's God's righteousness, this is what it looks like. You can't match it. And now it's what he's saying is what? Now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. That those first two words, but now, means what? So was what we just read there in verse 21 ever back here? All right. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying right now, you can have righteousness because God looks at that and is satisfied. And he's pleased with what the son did. Whether, you, whether you're pleased with what the son did or not, that's a you problem. God's already accepted it. And God's saying, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of, what will happen is, God says, I'm pleased with this. And He says, right now, I will give you my righteousness if you trust in the blood of Christ. Agree with me. And that's all He's asking. Notice, by faith of Jesus Christ, not in, right? Got new Bibles that change that word of to in. It's by faith of Jesus Christ unto who? All. Alright. So, it's unto all. Does everybody have it? Yes. No. Not everybody has it. It's unto all, right? Right. Who's it available to? Believers. Everybody. Oh, it's available. It's available to everybody. Was it available to everybody back here? No. All right. So understanding some of those things, we can get that. God's righteousness is unto all. Everybody has access. Everybody. Not one person is excluded in having access to his righteousness. But... This is, this is the one where Calvinists don't know what to do anything with and they change the word all to, well, it's all of the sum. Well, if, if God wanted it to say all of the sum, it would have said all of the sum. But it says it's all. Well, the other problem is they have over with 1 Timothy 2.4 is they'll say it's God's will that all men be saved. Well, if it's God's will that all men be saved, the sovereignty of God says it's going to happen and we don't have to do anything. Everybody's going to be saved. Well, there's a problem with that. Because that's not a true statement. This is God's will. What we know about God's will is God has a plan and we can be a part of that plan or not. We can choose to be a part of it or not. He's not going to force you to be a part of His plan. He'll give you opportunity to do that. But that's this issue of unto. It's available to everybody. God says, I will give you my righteousness. The righteousness which is by Jesus Christ. You can have it. You don't, but you can. Keep on going. And upon all, period. Is that what it says? All right, so it's unto all. And it's upon all that what? Believe. You have to make a conscious, personal decision to say, I do agree with the Father that the Son paid what I should have paid, that it's now available to everybody, which is different than any dispensation before, but it's only upon all that actually believe. 
No one has it until you do what? Believe it. You have to believe. Now, there's an issue where a lot of people say, well, believe in His doing. And they go find a verse and, and all that stuff. They go back to Philippian jailer. Believe in His doing. It's not. Chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him. What does that mean? Believing is not a work. It's not, it's not something you do. You can't do that. You, you can't do believing. Does that make sense? Like English should tell us that. You can't do believing. It, believing's not an, something that you can physically... You know, We talked about this back, back in the, the conference in, in Grand Rapids. When I grew up, they were like, you know, you just got to have more faith. Well, what's that look like? Well, you just need to have more faith. It still hasn't answered my question. What's that mean? And so then my thing was like, am I really believing now? Is that better than the last one? Like, but that's the thing, right? That, because that's what they put it out as. But believing is just what? God, I agree with what you say about the Son, and it's available to me, and now I believe it, and now I've got it. That's the gospel that we're taking out to people. But they, we all have to know who we were to find out who we end up being. Notice, go back to chapter 3. And, and you know, just to kind of remind us, last week, two weeks ago, we were talking about some of the, some of the bad terminology that's out there, those shortcuts, right? Like, you must give your heart to Christ. Zero places in Scripture says that. That's a shortcut that people that are afraid to give the gospel give. Um, you must let Christ come into your heart. It's not a romantic affair that you're having with the Savior. It's a personal decision based on a death that you should have paid. Yeah. Joel Osteen says you want to make the Lord the Lord of your life. Yeah. That's the other one. You must make Jesus the Lord of your life. If He's not the Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. That's what they say. There's nothing that you can do to prevent Him from being Lord. Or give your life. Or give your life. He doesn't want your life. He wants to give you His life. You know? Um, you must confess your sins and ask the Lord to forgive you. No, you don't. You don't. That's a Baptist thing. Too. That's a Baptist thing. Have they not read Romans 3.19? No one does. No one. I'm convinced that majority of pastors and churches, especially Baptist churches, do not read their Bible. They can't. And and get up and say the things that they say. They either can't. They're not reading their Bible, or they are, and they're purposely hiding information from the congregation. Um, or they put their teachers or what school of thought they went to mm -hmm. above. And they'll do that. Yeah, and they'll do that. Um, you must repent of your sins and turn to Christ. Well, that just means you don't know what repent means. Get in the Bible and find out what it is. Repent's not changing, turning your mind. It's, it's, it's not turning from your sins. It's not being sorry for your sins. That was an old Billy Graham thing, right? How sorry? Real sorry. <laughs> What's that mean again? That's the same thing as like, you know, have no faith. Subjective like stuff. Yeah. Pray hard to pray through. You got to pray through the ceiling. Well, the problem is, is God took the ceiling away. You don't have to pray through anything. Just pray. Talk to it. Um, not, another one we talked about the last time. Uh, pray the sinner's prayer. People love that one. And we talked about before. You go over to John and you find out. Does God hear the prayers of the lost person? The answer is no. That's a problem there, isn't it? If you tell somebody to pray and God will save you, well, you've just told them the exact opposite of what Scripture says. Um, you must confess Christ before men. That was the last one we left off with because they'll go get the verse that says, if you don't confess before men, then I won't confess you before the Father. Well, that's a completely different issue because that was before His death, burial, and resurrection. And if you understand right division, then that takes care of it. 
But you take a look at these things and you look, verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, means everybody has access. And upon all them that believe. Well, who gets it? Whoever believes. believes. It really is that simple. And of course, everybody will come along and say, well, the angels believe and tremble. Right? I'm glad you know part of a verse. But here's the problem. Did Jesus Christ die for the angels? No. The reason that He was able to die for mankind is because He took upon the form of the flesh, which is He was made a little lower than the angels to be a kinsman redeemer for us, not for them. They had their shot, right? We've talked about that before. Why? Why is it for there is no difference? That's here. Was there a difference back there? Absolutely 100% difference. Difference here? No. Why? Verse 3, all are under sin. The all here are all under sin. When you hear the gospel, you're taken out of that all and you're put into that all. This is an all that's in, in Adam. That's an all that's in Christ. So all in Adam, that's your position. All in Christ, this is your position. If you want to move from this one to this one, agree with God. Notice verse 23. And of course, this is where we've gotten to. If you want a real quick, easy way to go about it, and we've talked about this before, those, those crunch questions and being able to go to that. Verse 23, man has a problem, right? Why is there no difference, Paul? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all these people here. All these people down here have access to His righteousness. Right? Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Well, how do you move from this all to this all? Is you, you look at this and say, I want that. And the only way I can get it is by looking there and saying, I agree with the Father. The moment you trust that, and that alone, He takes you out of Adam, puts you in Christ, and gives you well over a hundred and some odd spiritual blessings the moment that you trust. The sad thing is that a lot of people that even are lost, even don't claim to be saved, believe that you have to be water baptized. Yeah. So that's another thing that kind of yeah, well, and, and that, that's one of those things like, all right, you're not saved by water baptism, but you have to be baptized here. And what they'll do is they'll pull up that if you don't confess me before mm-hmm. men. And they'll use that as a public confession. Nowhere in Scripture does it say to do something, a public event, as a private thing. Right? They'll say, well, baptism is what? Well, it's a public... It's a public confession of a private trust and belief. Nowhere in Scripture does that show up. Right? So then that gets into, well, the only person, the only thing that the person knows at this point, if we've talked to them and got them to actually believe the verses and trust, were they saved by doing works? No. How 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 for <laughs> for how long are you saved? Well, I'm saved forever, right? Okay. Is there anything you need to do to stay saved? At this point, they don't know anything other than, well, I was saved by what he did. So I'm going to stay saved by what he did. So that's the only thing that they know at that particular time. And they can look at that and say, well, here it is. Um, so then then you have religion comes along and says, well, I'm glad you got saved, but we need to dunk you. <laughs> right? Backslidden. Yeah. I heard that this week too. Oh yeah, I've heard all kinds of good stuff this past week about me, but yeah, I didn't even know. But I didn't even know it's true. Time of year, I think. Well, it's getting colder, and people are inside on Facebook more often. I guess I don't know, but yeah, I've, I was told that we need to change our name to um, uh, Disqualified Bible Church. So because I don't, yeah, because I don't know anything about the cross work. So wow. there you go. <clears throat> Well, I mean, if he wants to do the paperwork, let him do the paperwork. 
<laughs> well, praise the Lord. Uh, but I mean, you you hear this stuff, and you're like, okay, this guy, this guy doesn't know what's going on. So you just kind of, okay, and you move on, right? Because if I spend time fussing with him, I'm, I'm missing an opportunity to actually present a gospel to somebody. Amen. And somebody else will say, well, he just wants to get in arguments and fights. And just, but they've huh? heard, and that's all that it that that's, counts. That's all that matters, yeah. And you did what you were supposed to do. Yeah, so, you know... I understand that stuff's going to come more and more. Um, and I just, I, I listen to that stuff. And I'm like, okay, all right, let's move on. Let's get on about the work and, and go about doing what we're supposed to do. Um, but notice verse, verse 25. So we've got the issue is what? All of sin. God says, here's the solution. Jesus Christ died for everybody. Verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now, the interesting thing about this is when it says through faith in His blood, whose faith is that? That's God's faith. Do you know what God says? He believes that Jesus Christ was, was the fully satisfying payment for the judgment. That's God's faith right there. God says, when I look at the Son, I am pleased with what He did. He satisfied the payment. That's God's faith right there. He says, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. God said, He is the propitiation and I believe that He's the propitiation. He has fully satisfied what I was asking for. And we see that because remember when we went through and talked about the faith of Christ, the fact that the Holy Spirit came proves that the Father was pleased with the, with the, the sacrifice through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now, that's an interesting thing because what God the Father does is He says, I'm going to look here at the cross and I'm going to save people here. But also, I'm going to go back here and I save all those same people back there even though they didn't trust in the, in the cross because Abraham had no clue that Jesus Christ was going to die on the cross. Noah had no clue Moses had no clue. None of those guys in the Old Testament from Genesis all the way up to Malachi, they had no idea what was going to happen there. They weren't looking forward in faith to the cross saying, well, one day I'm going to be forgiven because of what Christ does. They had no clue. But what God says is through His forbearance, He says, not only am I going to use that cross to save people here, but also, that's what allows me to go back here and say, they're saved as well. By what? Faith. Taking God as His Word. Faith all the way through Scripture. That's how people are saved. They didn't know it. <laughs> but we now do. And God is just. And notice He says this, to declare I say, at this time that he might be just. Notice, I say, or to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. You know what he's saying? God is just to save us by the cross and he's just to save those by the cross as well. It's his plan. Before, before Genesis 1, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit decided they're going to do something. And the Father says, I'm pleased with what the Son did. Holy Spirit comes down and says, the Father was pleased with what the Son did. And way out here in the age they come, God's going to fulfill that purpose that they started out there for what? The heaven and the earth? For the heaven and the earth. And we get to be a part of it. But that verse 25 and 26 there, that takes care of that issue. That, to me, that's one of those amazing things. You read that and say, all I have to do is agree with what God believes. He believes that the blood is the issue. And I say, I agree with you because that's what the verse says. It's not all the other shortcuts. There's no shortcut to it. Romans 23, 24, 25 that's the issue. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. By faith is how you get it. 
Trust and agree with what God's already said. Trust and believe what God had faith in. Um, real quick, um, just just to point this out, get Ephesians chapter one. Double check my time real quick. Ephesians chapter one. This is this is another one of those kind of misunderstood things, but if you understand Romans three twenty five, then this will make sense. Um, verse verse uh, verse eleven. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Verse twelve, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Now, pause there for a second. Verse 12. This, is, this, this verse is used, I should say, misused and mishandled a lot to create something that's not there. Notice in verse 12 that we should be to the praise of His glory. Whose glory? The Father's glory, really, right? Because that's what He's talking about. Um, um, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one and all in, in, in one all things in Christ. So He's really dealing with what the Father's doing here. Verse twelve: that we should be the praise of His glory. Who what? First trusted who in first trusted in Christ? The Father did. This is kind of a side note. <clears throat> there's there's teachings out there that says that from Acts 9 to Acts 28, there's a body, that's those people, and then there's a second body after Acts 28, which doesn't make sense at all. How can you have one body in Ephesians if you make two? But anyway, but that's what they do with Ephesians 1 there. They say, these people trusted, then a different group of people trusted. That's not what he's talking about. Who's the Him? Or who's the glory, whose glory is it? In verse 12 is His glory. That's the Father. Who first trusted in Christ? Who was the first person to say, I believe what the, what the Son did is fully satisfying to my justice? The Father did. In whom ye also trusted. What did we do? We trusted the same thing and we agreed with the Father. The Father says, my Son is a fully satisfying payment. And we say, we're here and we say, we believe that too, and moves us to here. So instead of creating something that doesn't exist, just let the verse take care of itself, right? But if you understand the Romans 3.25, that the Father is the one that says, I believe the Son did what He was supposed to do. And all He's asking us to do is to agree. Um, verse 13, "...in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of, of your salvation, in, which also, in, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance." So if you, if you look there, what do you have? "...in whom ye also trusted, after you what? Heard the word of truth." You have to hear the word of truth before you can trust it. Well, what's the word of truth that he's dealing with there is the gospel of your salvation to whom also after that you believed you were sealed. What happens? You have to hear it. You have to trust it. And then what happens is you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. God is saying, I'm going to put a down payment and I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in you. And what I'm going to do is I'm telling you right now, the moment that I put my spirit in you, you are mine. Notice. Until the day of redemption of the purchased possession. The day of redemption, the purchased possession, he's got us then. <laughs> he doesn't he's received the possession. He doesn't need the down payment. He's saying, I've got it all now. And you think about that stuff, that means that you cannot lose your salvation. The moment that you trust in what Christ did, you move out of here and into here. And you can't get out even if you want to. 
Now that gets into, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about the flatline Christians. You've got people that get saved and they never move and they never learn. They say, well, I don't want any part of it anymore. That's what happens. Well, our goal is we want to grow and mature. Well, some people don't want to and that's fine. But even if you don't want to, the moment you get saved, Christ lives in you. Over in Timothy, it tells us he cannot deny himself. So if he's in you, he can't deny you. He can't deny himself because he's in you. The moment you get saved, you know, all that stuff is, is beautiful when you think about what's going on. And it's not, it's not that simple, well, just, you know, give your heart to Christ. That's not it. He doesn't want that. He wants to change your heart. Trust Him. He'll change it. So when we talk about these, and again, I want us to make sure that we keep these things in mind because, and that Ephesians was a little side note, but I just, you know, you think about that stuff. Romans 3 takes care of a lot of bad doctrine. <laughs> if you just trust it and believe what it says. But it takes care of a lot of that stuff. And so I just kind of thought about that real quick. But when we go in through and talk about stuff, do we have to tell everybody all that stuff that we have up here? No. What do we say? There's a problem. You're part of it. There's a solution. You're not part of it. But you can agree with what the Father says and He'll take you out of that and put you there. Three things. There's a problem. There's a solution. You accept it by believing. You can't get simpler than that when presenting the gospel. Now, we've talked about this before, and you brought it up. What about those that think that they're saved? Well, that's, that's, it's still the same presentation, right? They think that it's too simple for it to be real, mm-hmm. for salvation to be real by what Scripture says. Mm-hmm. In other words, they call it easy grace or something like that. They do. Um, <clears throat> um, go real quick. Well... Kind of side note, but we'll do this. We got time. Um, Go real quick to um, go to Second Corinthians chapter eleven real quick. Which one? Second Corinthians eleven. Now I will say this while you're finding this, and again, this is this is really what the issue comes down to, what the shortcuts neglect. If we neglect to stress the need of salvation, we'll inevitably or invariably look for the reality to the punch of conviction and conditions that are attached to obtaining salvation. And that's not what we want. That's the shortcuts, is we just want to get to the point of we want to get you convict. We want to get you um, uh, to to the point of conviction. And some people, we, we a lot of folks, they they miss out on on the real issue there. But you know, you think about this. Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse one. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with the godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband then I present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through the subtlety of so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It is simple. God wants it that way. You know, we, we've talked about this before. <clears throat> Think about this. If I said you need to walk this aisle to come up here and to accept Christ, how do you know if you walk to the right amount of steps? How do, if you, how do you know that if you walk to the right point? How do you know if you started at the right point and ended at the right point? Right? Anytime you put anything on, Brother Jordan always says, if you had to do that, you won't know if you did it right. Because you're always going to question, did I do it right? Because that adds, that takes clarity out of the gospel 
and it adds in what what's happening here it takes away the simplicity and adds in it's got to be more complicated well what does he say here but i fear less by any means <clears throat> water baptism asking christ in your heart saying i want to be i want you to be the lord of my life anything anything by any means as a serpent beguiled eve through the subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in christ and then he goes on down. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom ye have not preached. Well, <clears throat> you think about that, and you go over to Galatians, you find out is it is it possible to preach another Jesus, even though it's the same Jesus? Is it possible to preach another Jesus? Can you preach an earthly Jesus and say if you follow his earthly ministry, you're going to be saved? Can you preach a resurrected, risen Christ? Same person, right? You're teaching two different Gospels. But a lot of people just say, well, it's all one Gospel. Well, it's not though. Um, or if you receive another Spirit which you have not received, or another Gospel which you have not accepted, ye might well bear with them. I suppose, and he goes on down through there, that simplicity issue is taken care of. It is simple. It's the way God wants it. He wanted it that way. The whole issue back here, what was it? It was complicated. Why? Israel said, give us a law, we'll perform it. Man says, give me something, I'll do it. God says, just believe. And it's done. I did all the work. The Son did all the work. The Spirit did all the work. You know, when, when in Philippians where He says, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. He's doing the work in us. Not us. And we've said this before. He's going to reward you one day for His work that He's performing in you. How great is that? Because it's going to be a perfect work. You can't miss out on that. You, I, the only way that you can is we look at stuff and it's interesting. You go through there in verse 4 and you got those issues of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life stuff. And it shows up there. It shows up all over the place. And that's what a lot of people do whenever they're presenting the gospel. They take those shortcuts and what they're following through through is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, whatever it may be. Um, so <clears throat> let's end off with this part. How can we make clear statements? And this will be the last, last section on this one. Um, be careful when presenting an invitation to emphasize the only adequate basis for faith is Calvary. Never imply that anything other than coming to our senses, which is the issue of repentance, right? Changing your mind. About your lostness and faith in, in, in the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice is necessary for salvation. The idea there is, there's nothing else other than realizing I can't do it. He did it. I agree. I can't save myself. I change my mind and I say He's going to save me and I believe it. Never base assurance on subjective experiences. Focus on the promises of God. This is where your assurance is. Well, if, 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 if somebody gets saved and they want to cry, let them cry. But don't let them think that the crying is the, is the assurance of their salvation. Don't let them think that a good feeling is the assurance of their salvation because when they walk out and life hits them in the face and they don't have that feeling anymore, they're going to think that they're lost. The assurance comes from the book. Nothing else. Um, specify that the issue in belief is where is your hope? What is it that you're depending on? The only answer should be the cross. Um, never neglect the first part of the presentation. The explanation of the sins and the consequences of it. Or the temptation to add to the, to the invitation asking them for you know, life commitment or whatever it may be. Don't, don't get into that stuff. Um, make sure that your appeal is designed to encourage your listener to claim by choice an objective message that deals with the great event outside of themselves. The book's the issue. <clears throat> Insist that the issue is not how a person feels, but rather what they believe. What are they relying on? Never present a message that stresses human performance, 
of any kind. Nothing. The moment we do, we've made it void. Emphasize what happened at Calvary. Don't ever get too far away from that event. That is the single most important event. And that's the only thing that we have salvation by. Never give the impression that certain mechanics must be fulfilled in the decision-making process. Well, you have to do this and this and this. Don't make it a process. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. You can believe it or not. And like I said, we can present that and we can present that consistently. That's, that's what we call um, success in evangelism. Not how many people you get saved, but are you consistently giving it in, in a clear and concise way? Um, avoid using some of those pet phrases and terminology that we had when we were talking about that earlier. Um, and then remember, persons not saved by entering into a love affair. Do not be romantic about the matter of salvation. Don't make it that type of thing. The decision must be based on factual reality, not heated passion. You know, we talked about, you know, and I mentioned this before, the reason that, that, I, that I trust the King James Bible, it's not a, an emotional attachment to the book. It's a factual thing based upon the doctrine of inspiration and preservation found in the Scriptures. The Scriptures tell me that I have it, not anything else. And that's one of those things we talked about. Um, only as they see the rational basis of, of, of their faith, that they believe the gospel, that they're able to, to feel, they will be able to feel and act like a new creature in Christ. The feelings will come, but don't let the feelings be the assurance. Right? Make the Bible the issue. The assurance is found here um, and nowhere else. <clears throat> All right? So... We went a little over, but all right. Questions, comments, 